Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for joining me here today. It is Friday. Yes, Friday, April the 24th. Got a good show lined up today. Of course, as we go through a pandemic, it has raised concerns when it comes to keeping healthcare workers safe. You know, people are now starting to get pretty creative out there when it comes to finding new products or reusing existing products in a way that can help us to get through this COVID-19 crisis. So I'm going to be chatting with a University of Guelph food scientist who has turned a machine used to sanitize fresh produce, and he's using that to help sanitize respirators or those N95 masks, if you will, a product that, of course, we have heard much about in terms of a shortage of supply and how valuable they are now to the medical field, really now more than ever. So in the back half of the show, well, going to be focusing on that topic. But to begin today's show, well, the TNRD's board of directors met yesterday, and I'm joined on the line now by the chair of the board, Ken Gillis. Ken, how you doing here today? I'm doing well. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for taking the time. Now, I'll just start by getting an overall sense from you of just how the, how the meeting's gone. I know, uh, you know, you've been switching to these virtual meetings, and yesterday you went to an actual just straight-by-phone meeting. So are things starting to get a little bit smoother as you guys uh, get together to try to make some decisions for the district? Yes and no. Yesterday's meeting was uh, by conference call, as you know, and it was live-streamed. We had rather hoped at the, in the initial stages of uh, shifting to this process that we would be able to do video, but it just has proved to be impossible. Some directors are way out in the boondocks and they don't have sufficiently good connectivity. And so uh, we've gone with just the audio portion, but we are we did live stream it. What was some of the major points of conversation here yesterday? I mean, I heard some some lengthy conversation around yeah, director. Director Salas. Rothenberger presented a motion that we should uh, take a voluntary twenty percent salary cut uh, because of the COVID situation, and that did get a bit of discussion. And quite a number of directors spoke against that. And I think for, for very good reason. Some directors said it would impose a, a hardship on them financially. And others said, I remember particularly, I think, Director Sinclair from the city of Kamloops said that there are all kinds of options if you've got 20% to spare. Uh, some will have 20% to spare, some won't. But those who have would have no difficulty finding any number of charitable organizations that would be more than glad to uh, to have that money. So if you're in that mode and wanting to uh, wanting to contribute, that would be the way to do it. And that's generally the way the vote went. I think it went up to 22 to 2, if I recall correctly. So uh, the, the motion by Director Rothenberger failed. Yeah, um, and I, I, I like that as well. I mean, like I, you were mentioning with Sinclair, I, I saw some of her comments too, speaking to um, supporting local charities and why that's important right now. And we've seen that, uh, you know, donations to charities are down quite a bit. So I think that's a nice way to make things up uh, in that regard. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was an appropriate conversation, but uh, the uh, end result was about what I expected. Uh, what, what were some of the other things that, uh, you know, you took out of yesterday's meeting? Like you said, uh, it was a very lengthy uh, meeting when it comes to conversation but the actual agenda itself wasn't overly long. So what, what were some of the other things that you know stood out to you as major talking points yesterday? Yeah, I, I think you make a good point there, Jeff. It was, uh, it was a long meeting with very little on the agenda. Um, one of the things that we discussed uh, was advisory planning commissions because we have a couple and we were going to amalgamate 
three, I think it is, into two. And these are just groups of volunteers who meet to consider bylaw changes and development matters that will affect the rural areas. And uh, there was a long discussion about that. And at the end of the day, what we decided to do was defer to defer the decision on that because, uh, well, for one thing, our acting CAO, Mr. Deal, pointed out that almost everywhere else in the world, these APCs have been abolished because they're less and less effective. And also because there are other ways of consulting with the public on these matters one of them, of course, was, you know, is going to be through technology. Uh, but there are other ways to consult with the public and to let them know that there are things planned for their areas and if they wish to have some input. There's other ways than doing it, of doing it than through uh, an advisory planning commission. So I don't know what the upshot of that will be. Uh, I know where I stand on the issue, but I don't know what the majority of the board will wish to do. But it may be that the APCs are on their way out. Ken, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about uh, just the budget overall, uh, just in a general sense. Like you guys had that conversation yesterday about potentially cutting director salaries, obviously in, a, in an effort to save some money. Uh, we've seen a lot of communities start to try to roll back their budgets a little bit as we go through this pandemic. Um, you know, is there anything that might be on the radar for the TNRD? I mean, you just passed that $23 million budget not very long ago. That's a very small increase over 2019. So I don't know if there's a whole lot you can roll back in terms of that increase, but uh, you know, is there any concern about your budget at this time as a result of COVID-19? Well, what I heard yesterday was not so much concern about the budget itself, but more of an interest in what we might be in a position to do in order to defer taxes for people whose taxes are coming due mm-hmm. on the 1st of July. And we looked into that, and the TNRD does not collect taxes. Our taxes are all collected by the province, so any uh, assistance for the public in that regard is going to have to come from Victoria. About the only other thing I can tell you, Jeff, is that there is a a feeling of sympathy among 26 directors at that board table. Nobody is unaware of the hardship that this pandemic is working on people. So, you know, if there's anything, any kind of relief that we can bring, I'm sure we would. I mean, you know, we're doing little things like we're not charging for dropping your household garbage off at the Eco Depot and that sort of thing. Other kinds of garbage are still subject to charge, but your household stuff goes in for free. And that kind of thing. I don't know what else, you know, we're doing at the moment, but certainly there is a lot of sympathy on at the board table. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of municipalities are simply just kind of watching how things play out because there's just so many unknowns about where we're going with this, right? So it's just something that, to kind of keep an right, eye on. That's right, Jeff. And, you know, and, and the thing to remember, of course, is that a municipality is a much different animal from, mm-hmm. uh, from a regional district, yes. and their tax revenues are applied by themselves, and whereas we are a creature of the provincial government. One thing that I really wanted to mention that we did affirm the hiring of Deanna Campbell as our new corporate officer. She replaces Carolyn Black in that office. And uh, I think that's uh, a real coup for the regional district. She's uh, a pretty prized acquisition, I guess you might say, if it were a hockey hockey team. (laughs) And... uh, uh, and it's such a prize acquisition, I guess, that uh, we could hear on the, as you know, it was a telephone conference, we could hear uh, Ken Christian's tears falling on his desk, you know, even over the phone. So uh, we're very, very pleased to have Deanna, and that's 
you know, going to plug a hole that's been in our senior staffing for a long, long time because Ms. Black has not been well. So she's been away for quite a while. And uh, uh, Bobby Harrison, formerly of the city, filled in for a number of months, but she didn't, certainly didn't want a permanent job. And I guess that's why she retired in the first place. And in that connection, we promoted a person by the name of Agnes Sapp to deputy corporate officer. And I think that was a long overdue acknowledgement of her dedicated and highly professional service to the regional district. And if you want a little uh, matter to set the record straight, mm-hmm. her name, we've called her Agnes for all the time that I've been on the board and for I don't know how long before that. But her real name, because there's an E on the end of her Agnes, her real name is Agnese. So huh. <laughs> there's only, now, now the secret's out. <laughs> Until now, very few of us knew that. She was always too polite to correct you probably as well. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, she, she wouldn't do that, no. <laughs> right on, Ken. Well, uh, I do appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me. And I just wanted to ask one more question here, and uh, I'll get you out of here on this, because you had sort of mentioned it to me uh, before we uh, got officially underway here, was just talking about who was actually at the, the TNRD meeting yesterday. And you had mentioned that uh, Mayor Tellerico out of uh, Cash Creek was unable to make it due to, uh, you know, obviously the flooding concerns that are happening there. A number of people evacuated or on evacuation alert. Um, but just was that at all discussed, or is that something that you guys are planning to look at here in the not-too-distant future is just looking at potential flooding in the district and how uh, the TNRD is ready to respond if something does occur? Yeah, I'm really pleased that you raised that, Jeff, because uh, this year, I think for the first time in a long time, we've had people going out in advance of any flooding to areas that we are concerned might flood. And, uh, you know, it dropped off sandbags and sand. I know it was done in Westwold, and it was done in a few other, probably Cherry Creek and a few other areas throughout, throughout the district. So just to see if we can get slightly ahead of the curve. And we have, I hope, done that in certain areas. And we are very concerned. The last I heard, people are saying that the water is, um, at least in many areas, is uh, running off quickly and early so that the usual flooding season in May will perhaps not be quite as devastating as it could otherwise have been because the snowpack, as you know, is about 125%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're doing something about that. There was another thing you might be interested in because a question was raised at at the board about our search for a permanent CAO. And that question was referred to a later closed meeting But I I can tell you that the COVID crisis is delaying that process. And as strange as it might sound, I'm not sorry about that. Because when we suddenly lost our CAO in early February, it left a a huge hole in our staffing with the most senior position vacant. And I feel the region really landed on its feet when we got Randy Deal. As you know, he's the former CAO from Kamloops. He has stepped in. He's performed brilliantly. But he was scheduled to be finished uh, in his interim role in June. I spoke with him yesterday, and he said that since COVID has intervened, uh, he'll agree to stay with us until we can conduct you know, one-on-one interviews and that sort of thing with prospective CAO candidates until they can travel and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that pretty well means he's committed to us for the summer, and I'm really grateful to him for that. He did say that he'd been hoping to work on his golf game this summer, Jeff, but from everything I've heard, that's a lost cause anyway. So uh, uh, we're happy to have him with us, we hope, for the summer. And uh, he feels that we're guaranteed to get a lot of highly, highly qualified applicants, excellent people, he thinks. He called it a plum job. 
and uh, said we're fortunate to be in one of the most desirable locations in the country. So I'm looking forward to getting going on that, but we're not moving on it fast or furiously because of the, uh, of the COVID situation. Well, I uh, enjoy speaking with Randy when I've had the pleasure to talk to him a few times myself. So glad to hear he's sticking around for a little bit. And uh, yeah, best of luck with that search. Although, who knows when it can really get into full swing. But uh, either way, thanks so much, Ken. Always appreciate your time. Okay, thank you, Jeff. That was the chair of the TNRD, Ken Gillis. Well, let's take a quick break here, and I'll be back in just a little bit to talk about some new technology that's out there to help clean and sanitize those coveted N95 masks. So stick around, and I'll be back with more Jeff Andrea Show after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on Friday. The University of Guelph says a device meant to decontaminate fresh produce is now being used to sanitize N95 masks for healthcare workers during this ongoing novel coronavirus pandemic. The technology was developed by U of G food scientist Dr. Keith Warner, and he joins me on the phone now. Keith, thank you so much for taking, t- taking the time here. Oh, good afternoon. So let me just start by getting a, a picture from you of, of what exactly this looks like. I mean, what gave you the idea that this fresh produce decontaminator uh, could potentially be used to help sanitize the, that personal protective equipment or specifically N95 masks? So in actual fact, uh, N95 masks has a lot in common with a lot of fresh produce. If we take a simple apple, for example, uh, the surface is kind of delicate it's got crevices where microbes can hide and so you need something more than washing to actually get to these microbes and way back a few years ago uh, we developed this process based on uv and hydrogen peroxide and the way it works is the uv degrades hydrogen peroxide produce what we call these hydroxyl radicals which are very antimicrobial uh, but they don't actually last long and they don't leave residues. So we developed uh, this system up and then we got in partnership with uh, Paul Moyer, who owned a candy apple business uh, down in Niagara. And the reason why we connected with him was the fact uh, he'd been affected by this hysteria outbreak to link with candy apples. And even though his uh, facility was not associated with it, it got uh, wrapped up in this big recall in the US and basically lost his business. So he came to me asking, saying, well, you know, I need a method that can decontaminate apples. Uh, have you got anything? And I was working on this UV peroxide uh, solution. I said, well, yeah, this is uh, one. And he took that. He made it into a commercial process, add some ozone to this, the treatment. And for the last few years, we've been working with uh, fresh produce uh, processes down in California and in the U.S. and some in Canada. And they got these commercial systems in. And when we heard about N95 masks, uh, we thought, well, this technology is a simple transfer because uh, the masks are delicate, like fresh produce, in terms of they don't take too much uh, uh, oxidizing agent or, uh, or degradation reactions. And the other thing is microbes are you know, hidden within the filters and weaves and the, uh, of the mask. So it transferred really well. In actual fact, it works better on masks than it does on the fresh produce itself. So it was... Uh, 
as I say, a pivot uh, point, and uh, we're just glad it could help people. And that's pretty crazy that it works better en masse than your actual intended purpose, which is kind of interesting here, too. Um, now, you recently did get approval from Health Canada to, to be able to go about using this machine to help, um, you know, clean up some of these N95s masks. Can you just maybe take me through how difficult that process was to get that approval from Health Canada? And I know, like, there are a lot of people who are putting in those uh, applications, you know, to try to help out during this coronavirus pandemic, and uh, with that being said, there's so many people trying to to get that uh, approval at the same time that it can cause a bit of a logjam. So can you just take me through that experience for you and how challenging or, or just what the overall process was to get that approval from Health Canada? So with Health Canada approval, obviously, they're the sort of oversight to make sure that anything they put onto the mall approve is safe and effective. And the thing is, to get something approved, first of all, you've got to make sure it is effective against the target, uh, which in this case, obviously, is uh, COVID-19. Uh, but you've also got to prove that it doesn't degrade the mask in terms of the straps, does it uh, affect the filtration, does it affect the performance. And additional to that is that you've got to uh, give evidence saying, well, it works on this mask, does it work on that mask? And the thing is, is that uh, not one person could do it, not one company could do it, because as you can tell, it's got a lot of different moving parts. So I was the microbiologist, so I could uh, do the microbiology part. Uh, we had uh, the paramedics over in Toronto who did the uh, mask uh, testing, you know, to make sure it fits and it filters. Then we have Cleanworks uh, Medical, which are responsible for actually building the equipment. And... We had to get all this information and then go with the uh, NRC, which is National Research Council, who was a kind of go-between between ourselves and uh, Health Canada. And we fulfilled all those sort of tick boxes, and then we got approval for that. Uh, typically, it would take uh, months, but we worked so intensively to the point that we were taking literally calls on a Saturday night. Uh, I think it was over the Easter weekend, to be honest. Um, uh, it was a very intensive process, but uh, when you have a crisis like this, uh, you can't really go through the traditional months and months. So... The, the fortunate part what we had as a, as, uh, as a researcher and Cleanworks had as a company is we had all these moving parts and we had a process that was proven to work. Now, a lot of companies um, go to Health Canada and say, I have a decontamination method, but they're either missing the micro part or they're missing the fit uh, testing. So with all the delays, uh, there's a reason it's not Health Canada uh, being obstructive. It's just that they need to be sure that they're providing something safe. Um, what does this machine look like? What Can you describe what the device actually would, would look like to someone who sees it in person? So it's been described by three things. I described it like a um, a mic, an x-ray machine you have at the airport when you put your things uh, in a sort of container and put it through. Uh, other people have described it as a barbecue. and Other people have described it as a uh, a sunbed but uh, what it actually is it's about eight foot long uh, three foot wide and you load the mass onto this sort of special holder and you pass it through the machine and as it goes through the machine it, it sprays a vapor of hydrogen peroxide mixed with ozone and then it gets treated with uv and after 30 seconds it comes out the other end so it's a very mobile machine um as I say, very quick, and it's almost ideal for hostels or care centres and places like that. 
So what what kinds of interest have you received? Um, just curious, you know, have you had anyone reach out to you about how to use this machine? Can you produce more of them to send out across the country? Or, or would it be like maybe a hospital sending you their used at 95 masks to get clean? Like, do you have any idea sort of what the process could be to to best utilize this technology now that, now that you have found out that it does indeed work? Well, as an academic, I, don't, I just get interested about what the process is. Uh, from Cleanworks uh, Medical, which is a company who's building these units, have gone okay. from building two a week to 15, and they've had interest uh, in different hospitals. Um, Hamilton, and there's a hospital in Ottawa, and there's one in Nova Scotia. So essentially, they've had uh, a lot of interest, obviously, before this, because uh, it was well on the radar. Uh, but what we're hoping for, I suppose, is a broader sort of usage. Uh, yeah, hospitals are the sort of um, ideal point. But after saying that, you know, the battle really is in uh, senior homes and care homes. Right. And the thing with this technology is so mobile, you don't have to send masks. Uh, because the reality is, is that with those other techniques that people are looking at, i.e. hydrogen peroxide vapor, or even uh, the ovens, is that, uh, or the autoclaves, is that you have to send your mask over to a central facility, they treat it, send it back, and it's this sort of uh, yuck factor in that people don't like to use other people's masks, right. and I must admit, I, I don't think I would. And uh, so with this system, it's more like that. It's very quick, and people can use their own masks. So they are getting um, orders. Uh, like I say, uh, typically it's actually used for produce decontamination, but uh, it's not much far removed from decontaminating lots of different surfaces, masks and other things as well. That's uh, pretty cool. I, I hope that we see more of this kind of stuff uh, you know, being utilized because I know there's a big need. We talk about it here in BC quite a bit, the, the need for PPE and the shortages that are existing and, and are being highlighted now as, as we get deeper and deeper into the pandemic. So having technology like this, I think, is really critical in our fight against this, especially as we talk about it probably being you know 12 to 18 months before we're really fully through this thing. So definitely uh, definitely a, a need for the ability to, to reuse the PPE that exists now, I think. Um, how long does it normally take? Like, if you were to put a mask in uh, to, to decontaminate it, how long would that process take? Uh, it takes 30 seconds. That's and uh, it's, even at 30 seconds, certainly because that's the maximum speed of the uh, conveyor. Uh, so it's very quick. Um, if you want to think of a similar technology, they use UV and hydrogen peroxide on, uh, to decontaminate cartons for... Uh, juices and they do something ridiculous like a hundred per second or something like that so it's a very quick process and that's the if uh, that's the novel part about it is that because it's so quick it doesn't have these issues that uh, uv alone or peroxide alone has which is these long exposures which degrade it so it literally is it's uh, almost like going to an airport uh, in an x-ray machine putting your stuff on going around and picking it up again uh, so it's a very unique um, sort of piece of machinery and I'm glad it's uh, finding utility because as you mentioned uh, I think I heard a statistic saying we need a billion masks uh, to get us through this uh, and that's in a year and um, you know we haven't can't source them from abroad obviously because of the the pressure on them but if we could use that mask 10 times you just think how many uh, lives it's going to save in terms of uh, saving our frontline staff from being mm -hmm. infected and infecting others. Absolutely. Um, have you done any tests to see how many times you could clean a, a mask before it does become sort of unusable? 
Yeah, so we actually put it through 50 times, and it still was usable. Oh, wow. um, but uh, the thing about masks is that it's not so much the treatment in our case, it's what people do with them. So right. I've, I don't know if you've used rubber gloves before. You know, you can t- take your gloves off and then put them back on again. After 10 uses, they're a bit uh, loose, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, the system we have, uh, we've suggested 10 uses, but uh, certainly there was no, the straps were good, the filtration was good, but you can use it up to that time. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, Keith, to come on and, and talk to me about this. I think it's pretty interesting, and uh, we're seeing a lot of innovative ideas coming up through this pandemic that we're in to try to, to help with with these types of things, whether it be with PPE or, or just, uh, you know, helping people in, in various aspects of their lives get through this. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Glad to see something like this did get that approval from Health Canada, and, and hopefully we see more of these uh, decontamination machines in, uh, in use across the country as, as time rolls on. Anything else you want to add while I have you on the line? No, I say it's uh, just illustrates, doesn't it, how research, um, industry, government all can get together in a crisis and make things work where we need to do it. So we're very excited. We're just hoping that they can be, as you said, expanded over Canada and even abroad because I know in other countries they're facing even worse uh, supplies than we are. So uh, it's good to contribute to that kind of thing. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, like I said, hopefully we see more of these uh, spreading out across the world. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. That was Dr. Keith Warner, a food scientist with the University of Guelph, talking about this device that he made to help decontaminate fresh produce. But now he's been able to uh, recommission it, if you will, to be able to decontaminate N95 masks. Well, now that the technology exists, and at least to me sounds like it could be a very valuable commodity, what kinds of interest is there across the country for this? And, you know, is there interest beyond Canada? Well, I'll be chatting with Mark Vanderveen, who is the president of CleanWorks Medical. He's helping to uh, make and distribute this product. So stay tuned, and I'll be chatting with him next. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. It is Friday. I just finished speaking with uh, Keith Warner, who was a leader in getting this device that's meant to decontaminate fresh produce and start using it to sanitize N95 masks for healthcare workers. Well, I'm joined on the line now by the president of CleanWorks Medical, Mark Vanderveen. Mark, thank you so much for uh, taking the time here. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, let's just start by uh, getting a quick overview of what your role is here when it comes to this new product that is going to be hopefully be used in in a larger scale to help decontaminate these N95 masks, something that's a very valuable commodity right now. So what what is your role in all of this? Well, uh, CleanWorks Medical, um, we're in a partnership with uh, Moyers Apple Products, and and that's... um, uh, where this whole process started, um, it started back probably four years ago when uh, in, in our Apple facility there was a, an issue with Listeria in the caramel apple business and unfortunately uh, some uh, contaminated apples got into our competitor's uh, shop and um, created a pretty significant issue. So we had to come up with a solution as to how to sanitize our product, our, our apples, without using any water. And so that's where uh, we started working on this process. We started de- utilizing ozone. We started integrating uh, UV. And then we uh, touched base with Dr. Warner at the University of Guelph, and he helped us uh, with the process, used uh, his laboratories to validate the process. And lo and behold, we developed this, this 
process, which is the AOP process, which we use in our clean flow equipment. And um, we were able to come up with a solution that uh, generates a, an, an efficacy or a kill rate of, of pathogens, viruses, mold, mildew of over 99.99%, which is a, around a five log kill, which is pretty important in the, uh, the food industry. So that's, that's where we started with it. And that technology now, um, because it worked so well on apples, we started to look at it across a number of different products, um, for ranging from uh, citrus to avocados um, to ready-to-eat grapes, et cetera, have installations in California and um, in, in, uh, in Canada. And when the, the call to action came from the federal government a couple of weeks ago, or the, you know, when, when the COVID uh, uh, situation pandemic came forward, uh, we looked at the technology that we had. Uh, we know that it's proven to kill uh, pathogens and viruses. Uh, so we engaged with uh, Dr. Warner again and, and said, hey, uh, can, can we start running this uh, process on masks? So he's done some pretty extensive studies on that and validations on that, and and it, it works. It uh, eliminates some um, the, the the pathogens, the viruses, and contaminates that are within the uh, the N95 mask. So that's where we went from this. Yeah. So now that it's kind of been proven that this works, and there is the approvals in place from Health Canada, um, you know what what's next? I know there's has been some demand for this. Uh, device already and uh, I'm sure that there is some some work ongoing to make sure these devices are available to be able to be shipped to those places that are looking to acquire them so where are we in that process in terms of creating these devices and 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 what's sort of the interest level that, that you've been hearing about yeah, for sure, and and um, you know, as as we went went into this, um, we were were probably manufacturing uh, two to three of these uh, these devices per month, and once we went through the um, the authorization process with Health Canada and, and the National Research Council, and and I'll just back up there, those the folks within those two organizations, once they got a hold of of our technology and what we were doing. Uh, they were very focused, very tireless to push this through and, and do the d- due diligence on us, uh, with us um, on the validation testing. So that that went very quickly, but these guys they worked through the Easter weekend, and it was it was really quite phenomenal. And so once we landed our our Health Canada uh, authorization, we started to reach out to hospitals. So we have a number of hospitals in Ontario, hospitals, uh, EMS units, uh, senior residences. Uh, we also received a, a number of orders from the National uh, Research Council, uh, the Department of National Defense. And with those orders coming on board, we started to ramp up our production process. And, um, you know, as, as part of our community affiliation here, we've got um, contacts with a lot of skilled laborers, the laborers that have been on furlough because of the COVID crisis. So we put together a pretty solid team and, and we've um, pulled together um, uh, our manufacturing process and we're uh, looking to deliver up to 15 units per week now. Wow. Okay. So 15 units per week. So does that mean you're able to build 15 in a week? So that would be about three machines per day that you can kind of uh, manufacture? Is that right? That, that's that's what we're targeting for. And um, we will be working seven days a week. So it's a little bit less than, than three per day. So we're targeting okay. between two and three. Yeah, for sure. How much does one of these machines cost? Is there in a ballpark? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, 
we we've been selling them into the ag business, and because of um, you know what we need want to do and, and get them them out as quickly as as possible, the price tag is around ninety five thousand for for these uh, machines. They the cycle time on it is is thirty seconds to sanitize uh, a mask, and um, you know we can do uh, if we fully utilize the equipment, we can do over eight hundred masks per hour. So. That's quite a um, quite a savings for the hospitals and for the um, the EMS units, um, and you get a pretty quick turnaround on that investment um, going forward. Yeah, and, and given the the issues we're dealing with right now when it comes to PPE and, and these N95s specifically, when it comes to those working in the the healthcare field, I'm, I'm sure any way that they can go about uh, saving money, but more importantly, just having the availability of resources uh, at their hands is is the most important thing. And if you can sanitize your own mask and use it several times i think that's going to be something that everyone would be willing to do right no one wants to be using someone else's old dirty mask so it'd be nice to be all able right. to just send your own that you've been using all day put it through a machine and and have it good to be go good to go for the next time i think that's key and, and yeah yeah for sure and, and that's that's the key the the impetus between behind why we really uh pivoted what we were doing is is i had a conversation with a with a surgeon out of an emergency room and he said uh, to me, Mark, we are going to run out of PPE. We're going to be providing health care to uh, folks that have contracted uh, COVID-19, probably with inferior or without PPE. And we're going to get to the point where, where the healthcare professionals are going to contract it. And, and that just tore at my heartstrings and, and said, we have got to do something as quickly as possible. Um, to get a solution out to our health healthcare professionals, and uh, that's when the team came together, including Dr. Warner and and um, all the the community here. The supply base has been just absolutely fabulous to um, to help us uh, hit the rates that we're talking about, and and uh, we started our, we we actually delivered our first three pieces of equipment to um, hospitals here in Ontario, and and we've got orders all the way from Nova Scotia all the way out to um, Fort McMurray, so. Um, it's it's really starting to to catch some steam, and uh, we're committed to uh, to get these units out to where they're actually needed. Yeah, well, we're we're here in BC right now, so um, I guess they just got to get a little bit further west for us to start taking advantage <laughs> here, right? They're almost here, but not quite. So hopefully, someone out there is listening and thinks this is uh, something that they should inquire about, and maybe we'll see some of these in in BC before too long. Anything else you want to add? while I have you on the line here, Mark? No, all I can say is is I just just can't tell you how much we appreciate um, all the the uh, the work that our healthcare professionals are are doing and the the sacrifices that they're they're providing. So uh, hats off to everyone out there and uh, please stay safe. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, something I will echo here as well. Thank you so much, Mark. Really do appreciate your time. And like I said, hopefully we see more of these uh, these devices here getting sent out across the country to uh, keep our healthcare workers safe and, and give them the, the equipment they need to continue to do their jobs. So really appreciate it. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you for having me. That was Mark Vanderveen, president of CleanWorks, and I think it's a great, um, you know, thing that in the time of crisis there are positive stories like this that are coming. Um, you know, I believe there are a number of creative and, and new ways that people are using existing tools to help out during the pandemic, and uh, you know, retrofitting workstations to be able to do things like make masks, gloves, gowns, sanitizer, and many other useful products during this time. So, if you have something that you think is a good idea, or know of someone who has a new and innovative product that's worth talking about, please let me know. Email me, jandreas at stingray.com. Hit me up on Twitter at jeffrey under 
underscore Andreas or give me a call 250-374-1610. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy your weekend and I'll be back here on Monday at noon.